1: John Kramer. Welcome to Make Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes it's as simple as looking under the hood and finding out what's really working. That's why we created the Kramer COVID-19 Index. We wanted to capture the zeitgeist. Of this market, now while the averages were all over the map today, Dow dipping 109 points, this would be inching up 0.01 percent. Nasdaq gaining 0.78 percent. What happened? Well, the COVID index shined. Not unusual. It was up 1.7 percent. Do it's now gained nearly six percent since we created it late April, leaving the Dow and the S and P in the dust. The reason. Because when it comes to the pandemic, the components of the Kramer COVID-19 index are part of the solution. They're not getting hurt. They're helping. And that's a big difference versus much of the S&P 500, where you got a lot of stocks that are coronavirus roadkill. So let's take a look just to be able to show you what I'm talking about when I say this. Why don't we just take the top 10 performers from when we started? Because I want you to understand why this $11 trillion index really captures this moment. The best performer? It's one of the most shorted he actually hated stocks in the entire market. Peloton, Peloton Interactive. People think, think that's a <laughs> interactive is just like this. Nine percent of the float sold short. But this maker of connected exercise machines is a perfect fit for the stay at home economy. People do want to work out. Nearly all the gyms are closed. And even if your gym is open, there is a pervasive sense that going there is just asking to get sick. So you have to recreate the experience at home. Peloton lets you do that. The clothes They're off the Peloton at our house. Yeah, my wife kind of hung stuff on there, you know, because Flywheel's been closed since March 20th, and my once New York State Velodrome champion, Lisa, has been forced onto her Peloton that I bought her. She's lucky. One of our producers, Heather Gaines, says hers is backordered until late June. Now, there's a business. Stock's up nearly 35% since we created the COVID index. It's up 50% for the year. You may hate it. It's working. Number two, uh, of course, a vaccine. Moderna. I first encountered this biotech at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference two years ago. They use artificial intelligence powered by Amazon Web Services to develop vaccines and gene therapies faster than anyone else could do. Fast forward to today, and the whole world's relying on Moderna to give us a COVID vaccine before the end of the year. I'm skeptical. The record for fastest vaccine development is four years, and Moderna has never taken one of these to market before. But... If they can do it, yeah, the stock's going to keep exploding higher, which is why it rallied 32 percent since we created the COVID index. And it's up 242 percent year to date. And a lot of the vaccine stocks were really going nuts after the close because some organizations were giving out money to the winners or winners. I love that. Third best performer. Well, you've seen these guys. Livongo Health. Yes, remarkable personal health platform that helps uh, people with chronic illnesses manage their conditions. They started with diabetes. The platform now includes hypertension and obesity. These are three of the biggest risk factors that can make COVID-19 fatal. I like to think of Livongo as a custom-made digital health coach. No wonder it's up more than 30% since we created the index, up 114% for the year. Glenn Tolman has come on. He's chairman. Number four is Everbridge. Hey, they were just on the show. You see a theme here? We have focused on this endlessly. Everbridge is a cloud-based software company that helps businesses and governments handle critical event management, CEM. Think disaster response, including pandemic response. You probably never heard of them, other than if you watched the show last week. But they serve eight of the 10 largest cities in America, along with nine of the top 10 investment banks, nine of the top uh, 10 largest healthcare providers, 46 of our largest airports. Everbridge owns this market. No wonder the stock's up roughly 30% since we created the index, nearly doubling since the beginning of the year. Fifth is one a lot of people say, oh, Jim, why do you harp on this one so much? It's called Coupa Software. Uh, With millions of Americans setting up their own home offices, you better believe all sorts of businesses are in dire need of expense management. And they need expense management software, which is Coupa's bread and butter. I know it sounds banal, but who cares? Coupa's working. Stock's up 28% since we rolled out the COVID index. It's up 43% for the year because it's a textbook play on this stay-at-home economy that we keep talking about. Number six, well, anyone who's watched the show for 30 seconds knows Dexcom is one of our favorites. It's a remarkable company. It makes continuous glucose monitors for diabetics. There's no need to repeatedly prick your finger to test your blood sugar levels. It's the gold standard. Just like Luvongo, the pandemic gives people with diabetes an extra sense of urgency here. Dexcom's rallied 26.7% since we created the index. It's up more than 90% for the year. Seven, what I don't talk enough about, but I'm going to change that. It's called Cloudflare. Yeah, it's a cloud-based software company that helps businesses smoothly and securely run their websites. For example, they work behind the scenes with e-commerce sites and streaming services to ensure a consistent level of quality and protect those platforms against cyber attacks. Needless to say, it's exactly the kind of business that works when so many more things need to be handled online or at home. Now, why did the stocks up more than 20% since we created the index? 65% gain for the year. Another one. These were all last week we covered. We're on our game. Eighth is Square. There's one—this one's complicated. As many of Square's brick-and-mortar clients have been obliterated here. But in addition to the normal payments biz, Square's got this digital peer-to-peer payments app. It's called Square Cash, and that's on fire. When the company reported last week, the stock initially sold off hard. But then it came roaring back as investors realized that part of the business was in terrific shape. And that's why the stock's now up more than 20% since we created the index. Ninth, Massimo, a medical device company, that makes non-invasive monitoring equipment, especially pulse oximetry systems, that take your pulse and monitor your oxygen levels. At a time when hospitals all over the country need more ICU capacity, these are the machines they have to buy. Hence why the stock's up 20% since we created the index, 58% for the year. I always carry a little maximo Portable Pulse Oximeter because it's a great warning system if you're worried about being sick with COVID-19. Finally, there's Beyond Meat. Yeah, we had him on the show again last week, right after still more revelations about COVID outbreaks at meatpacking plants. CEO Ethan Brown is a man on a mission. He wants to shake up the whole food chain. And he's an incredibly effective evangelist for plant-based protein alternatives. Right now, he's cutting prices so Beyond Meat can take share from the meat guys. Plus, he's got two huge deals. One with Starbucks rolling out in China and another, I think, is in the offing with McDonald's. It's in Canada right now. Could be bigger. I'm betting he pulls off something gigantic down the line. Beyond Meat's gained 20% since we put the uh, index together. It's up 73 percent for the year. Now, I, I know it seems like I stacked the deck here with Kramer COVID index, but I could rip off down the next 10, I rip down the next 10, the next 10, the next 10. And all you'll hear about are stories that are about companies that are just like these that perform better when you're stuck at home and worrying about your health. There are simply an immense number of health, technology and safety companies that thrive when we're stuck in lockdown. And that's why the averages are so skewed. They're the ones that have been driving the big gains lately. They're strength masks the rot underneath in the broader averages, where stocks that are in the COVID blend. Gas, zone travel, leisure, aerospace, cruise lines, they've been crushed. Steel banks. Bottom line. Remember, there's nothing irrational about these rallies. The stay-at-home names are simply the right stocks for this difficult moment, and there are so many of them eleven point five trillion dollars entire SP only worth about 27 trillion. That they aren't the tail wagging the dog. They are a competing dog, and that dog is winning. <laughs> Jerry in Texas Jerry! hey jim how are you today i'm good how are you good doing well thank you hey i have a general two-part question for you okay The markets hit their recent lows on march 23rd
2: since that time they've rebounded roughly 30 something percent we have record unemployment oil prices that are historic lows companies unable to provide guidance and their profits are going down many businesses are going bankrupt people unable to pay bills Plus, we're fighting the COVID virus. My two questions are, do you feel the market is overbought at this time? And two, do you think we may revisit the March lows inside the next six Uh, months?
1: I don't think we're going to revisit them. There's too much. There's too many trillions coming out of the government. That really helps. Uh, We also have negative interest rates, which are really fabulous. We're very close to negative, really fabulous for stocks. And while there were a lot of what you said about uh, certain companies giving guidance not so good, there's lots of others that are doing quite well. And that's been my theme for Mad Money. Let's go to Brian in Connecticut. Brian. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, Jim, I'm 32 years old. I've owned this company for about five years, and uh, it's been in decline ever since. And today it's the leading uh, decliner of the S&P 500. Um, what are your thoughts long term of Under Armour? Nike. Just go with Nike. It, you know, you, you don't want to bottom fish. You want to go with the best. And Nike is the best. Plain and simple. How about Cody, Illinois? Cody. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. All right, man. What's going on? Gr-
3: can I chat out my girlfriend, Sam? Hey, my question's about Fleer. Um, I'm wondering if you think they're poised for uh, a lot of growth
1: uh because of the uh, The thermal imaging? I think the thermal imaging is real. I think they're leader, and I like the stock. I think it's a good stock. A little bit of spec, but I think Flour Systems is real. The move has been pretty exaggerated, though. All right. It's as simple as looking under the hood and finding what's working. These rallies aren't irrational. The stay-at-home names are the right stocks for this difficult moment, and there's $11.5 trillion of them. On Man Money Tonight, jobless claims over the past five weeks have totaled over $26 million. As COVID-19 continues to impact the economy, how are freelance workers managing during the pandemic? I'm asking the CEO of Upwork, new company for the show. Then, as states begin to reopen their economies, which companies could come out the winners? I'm going to give you my take. And as more companies seek out automation, is it time to consider live person? I'm going to be talking to the CEO. So stick with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
1: The highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression, it was 14.7% in April, and it's probably even higher now. We've got to adjust to this horrible new normal. And look, even if we can quickly reopen the economy, many of these jobs are not going to come back. But there are companies that are trying to help. Companies like Upwork, which runs an online talent marketplace where businesses can hire freelancers. Even better, their platform was designed for remote work with features that make it easier for employers to collaborate with off-site freelancers. That's why the stock is more than doubled from its March lows. And it's why we saw yet another leg higher after Upwork reported last Thursday, including another 6.7% run just today. While the actual results were solid, the company pulled its full year forecast. Second quarter gu- guidance was uh, just okay. However, none of that mattered compared to what Upwork told us about how business bounced back in early April. And by late April, they were seeing record levels of client activity. Is this a stock whose time has come? Let's dig deeper with Hayden Brown, the president and CEO of Upwork, get a clearer sense of the quarter and her company's prospects. Ms. Brown, welcome to Mad Money.
0: Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad to be here.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I've got to tell you, it's your first time on the show. So I think you should explain how Upwork works.
0: Upwork is an online platform where we connect clients in 180 countries around the world with independent freelance talent in 180 countries around the world. So we have a truly global platform. It's all about remote work. We work with 30% of the Fortune 100. They're coming to our platform. They're using us to find skilled, talented professionals that they need for business critical tasks.
1: I think it's incredible that right at the beginning of your call, you say a line that we totally believe in, in mad money. Remote work has gone mainstream and the genie is not going back in the bottle. It's not changing. It's going to accelerate, huh?
0: Absolutely, Jim. You know, three quarters of companies have said that they are going to have remote work be part of their ongoing operations going forward. And that's not just related to this pandemic. The pandemic has opened people's eyes to what's possible, but they've realized that there are real benefits to being able to work well remotely, and they want to hold on to those even after the pandemic passes.
1: Well, you were the first person that I've read, in, right up front in your message from Hayden Brown, CEO, the environmental impact of this is so fantastic, but no one else is talking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of these issues with people commuting, these terrible commutes, flying around the globe for meetings that really can happen over Zoom, just like we're doing right now. I mean, I think companies are really waking up to the fact that there is real productivity gains, as well as the environmental and sustainability impact that everyone cares about, and that now we can get both of those things by having so much more of the workforce working remotely. Now, at
1: one point I said, geez, I don't know, these guys, LinkedIn must be a, a problem for them. And then I saw Microsoft's a client of yours.
0: Absolutely. So we're working with everybody from small businesses through to large companies like Microsoft, NASDAQ, Glassdoor, you name it. They come to us because really they need to find talent in ways that they can't find in their local hiring geographies. Our company has been doing remote work for 20 years and we've been helping clients connect with talent outside of their backyards. And so companies like Microsoft come to us looking for talent that they can't find locally that we can supply through our platform because we've got millions of workers all over the world ready to work, and they're skilled at doing remote work, and they're, they're ready to get started. Okay,
1: so why don't you uh, give us some of the, uh, the challenges and opportunities uh, that global businesses are facing right now because you know, not, everybody's, not everybody is working uh, from home, and I think companies need to be schooled that this is something that they can do, but I they think they're frightened.
0: Yeah, I think the pandemic has been incredible in terms of companies really having been forced to try remote work. They've heard about it before. Maybe a few workers in their workforce may have been working remotely, but certainly this was not the normal practice at so many corporations. And now we're seeing from our customers, whether they're SMBs or whether they are giant corporations, they have all pivoted to work, work remotely. And so they're coming to us and asking, how do we do this? you guys are a remote work company, what are the webinars? How can you help us get our workforce mobilized? And then they're also coming to us because a lot of their workforce is actually not able to work remotely. So for example, if a large company has a call center operations and all of those call center reps typically come into the office to do that work, suddenly they've found themselves in a pickle because that can't happen during the coronavirus. So they're finding, okay, Upwork, how can you help me with a strategy that lets me have call center reps, lets me have web developers, mobile developers, all of these critical skills, able to work remotely and, and perform really business continuity as well as kind of crisis response tasks. So you're not just so finding people. The conversations right now.
1: I'm sorry. You're not just finding people you're advising. So it's deeper than that.
0: Absolutely. We really see our, our customers as partners. And so they come to us for help with their entire workforce strategy, because the, the choice to have a flexible talent bench, to have freelancers as part of your contingent workforce, all of that is part of your strategic thinking about your talent uh, operations. And so usually our partnerships are very deep with clients as we're helping them figure out holistically what are the different types of talent they need? Where can they source those talent? What role does upper play in that? And also often they're onboarding their own talent from other sources onto our platform because we can help them Pay and manage those workers through our global global platform, especially right now. But they've always wanted some of those those needs to kind of consolidate their workforce. So we're helping them in a very deep way. Well, it was very interesting the the
1: uh, trajectory of your business. You had uh, you saw the slowdown like many people, and so it looked like it might be the left side of a V. Uh, or maybe even a U, but then you had the biggest acceleration I've seen of them. We've been covering a lot of the companies in in this area. In the last week, you say, in the conference call, we broke our own records by a significant margin on leading indicators such as client registrations and new job posts. So somebody, people must have figured out you're the only game in town.
0: Yeah, Jim, I think what's happened is this is kind of a once in a generation change to how people realize remote work is something that is mainstream and is something that they can embrace. And so as part of that, they're coming to our platform in record numbers to look for solutions where they can tap into a workforce that frankly is already skilled and ready to be working remotely everyone on upwork is equipped to do this and so that's where the client job posts the registrations have been hitting record levels i think everyone's realizing this is something that's uh relevant and is frankly relevant for the long term
1: well i gotta tell you i, I think you're you're incredibly impressive and your company's very impressive and uh i wish i'd known more about you i would have put in my COVID index because holy cow are you ever made up for this time and uh and i know you don't want to profit from something bad but you've got a vision and your vision is now adopted by the rest of the country. Thank you so much to Hayden Brown, president and CEO of Upwork. Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you. Thanks.
1: Guys, this is a real company telling you the real thing, which is what you know I've been saying. People working at home is the future, and you need Upwork to do it. Man, money's back. the I love Amazon. It's cheap. It's easy convenient, I can honestly say that Amazon has changed my life. But you know what? It's possible to have too much of a good thing. And I think that's where we're headed, because most retailers simply can't compete in a world where shopping for things in person has become downright dangerous. Sure, Walmart, Target, and Costco, they can hold their own. But everyone else, they could be a corner. And believe me, we don't want to live in a world with only three stores and Amazon. Competition, Keep business honest without it, the system really doesn't work. That's why we need another rescue package from the federal government, not just the, uh, the uh, paycheck protection program, but something big to help smaller stores stay alive. Otherwise, when we get through this pandemic, Amazon will be the only game in town. And that's what I was trying to get at this morning when I pressed Treasury Secretary Mnuchin on new funds for phase two of our opening. We need them. Why am I so confident that that's where we're headed? It's not just the convenience factor in a world where it's scary to go outside. You can only lessen your chances of catching the virus by limiting your contacts. But that costs real money. Money's not a problem for Amazon, but it's a immense problem for the competition. We know Amazon's doing a lot of things right. They're spending fortunes to ensure the health and safety of its employees. They're investing $4 billion from April through June. Even that may not be enough, but it's a heck of a lot more than anyone else can come up with. They've made 150 process updates from the enhanced cleaning gear to social distancing measures and disinfection. They've given their hourly employees a $2 per hour raise. They started providing comprehensive health care benefits starting on day one. They doubled the regular hourly base pay for every hour worked. This is incredible. Other than Walmart, Costco, Home Depot, Target... I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any other retailer that can actually even afford that. Even in theory, even with all of the paycheck protection money in the world, 75% of those loans need to go to employees, which doesn't leave much cash to reconfigure your stores and retool your safety procedures. If these smaller retailers go to survive, they need more bailout money. And unless you want to live in a world where Amazon's, you know, literally and figuratively the only game me debt, when we need to give it to them. By the way, same thing goes for restaurants. If anything, they're in even worse shape than most retailers Physical distancing rules mean they need to remove many of their tables. You can only operate at maybe 40 percent of the capacity max. No seating at the bar. Hey, listen, take the Tennessee pledge. Can't even serve liquor. If states make customers get their temperature taken, I'm betting most bars and restaurants in the major cities will just go belly up. The Paycheck Protection Program just doesn't cover these costs. What do you, When you take out all, uh, the tables, I mean, the only way to survive is by focusing on takeout and delivery. But delivery margins are razor thin. The only winners there are DoorDash, Postmates, Grubhub, and Uber Eats. I know all of this because we have an Italian restaurant and a Mexican bar. We can't make money without selling liquor, and it's not clear whether we can even sell via delivery. We can't make money without crowds. Most importantly, we can't turn a profit and take out a delivery. got to understand, for most restaurants, the money's in selling booze, not food. They don't talk about it. But that's the truth. Sure, we make a bit for the food, but drinks are the real profit generator, and this is not a great environment for selling jigs. Now, I know this is a tough business. Everybody gets into it knowing you can fail. But right now, there are thousands of restaurants just like ours. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands. and It's going to be very hard for them to hold on until we get a vaccine. We need a break, either in the form of cash or rent relief, and I don't know if Congress will give us one. And you know what? It's even worse for the ultra-fancy restaurants that make Manhattan such a fabulous tourist destination, or at least they did back when tourism was still a thing. My favorite restaurant, my favorite is this place called the Bernadette. It's a fantastic French place that packs them in and offers amazing food. I always take my wife there for the big events. It's very pricey. But they'll likely have to double those already high prices to stay profitable. I, I, I don't think that's doable. And it's probably the best restaurant I've ever been to in America. I mentioned Liberta Den because there are always one or two fantastic restaurants in every town. that are incredibly uh, special, but they're also incredibly expensive. As we reopen the economy, I fear they'll fail. And they're great institutions. Which restaurants survive? All right. The chains that can make money off the delivery and takeout with the amazing balance sheets. Right now, that means Chipotle and Domino's. Once we reopen, I can see Olive Garden, which is uh, the Darden, and uh, McDonald's and Burger King. They can do fine. But do you really want to live in a world where those are your only dining choices other than cooking at home? Because if not, we need another rescue package from Washington. Craig in New York. Craig. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Craig. Uh, Jim, my stock is Excellus, E-X-E-L. Excellus, yeah. Uh,
3: Okay. Um, You know, besides beating the top and the bottom line last week, and, you know, they uh, recently started working with um, Bristol Myers on filing regulatory applications here in the United
1: States and in
3: Europe. What do you think the upside? is? Oh, became? I like them. I'm doing a lot
1: of work. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Craig, but I'm doing a lot of work with Bristol Myers. I'm doing a program with Bristol. And I thought that this, their Exelixis project is a winner. I think you should hold on to it, even though it just really soared. Great call. Great call by Craig in New York. How about Jack in New Jersey? Jack. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Hi, uh, You know, just uh, hanging Jim. in there. What's going on with you? Good, 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 good. Jim, it seems like Chinese stocks are on the move, and H-U-Y-A is the largest online gaming platform in China. Because of 5G and our current coronavirus situation, China eSports is the fastest-growing industry in the world right now. They report earnings next week and are supposed to have earnings and revenue growth north of 60%, and
3: I want to know what you think of online eSports as a future of spectator sports.
1: Okay, so here's what I want to say, Jack. You have done a huge amount of homework on this. Um, I am only a fan of Alibaba. But you know what? I am not going to discourage your speculation. This, you've, made a, you've told a very good story. You've done a lot of homework. You have every right to do it. So I bless it. Let's go to Fred in Kentucky, please. Fred.
2: Yeah. Hey, Jim. Uh, Cortiva, a name you mentioned a while ago when it was spun out from Dow DuPont. Sure. Their, their recent earnings surprise. I'm just wondering this might bring some focus on the stock and also uh, because Trump needs the support from the farm community. I'm wondering about, you know, the prospects for for China trade and how this could affect. The I felt
1: the same way. And then I read this Bank of America downgrade today. And I've got to tell you something, Fred, it was devastating. And I think Corteva is really well run. But they're just saying, forget about it. Don't even go near it. And uh, that made me think, wow, I guess I got to rethink. And uh, Wow, I'd like Corteva to come on and take the other side of that tree. That would be terrific because they are great guys. All right. We need another rescue package from the Fed government. We do. Uh, we, got, we, got to, we got to save some of these smaller stores. and I'm not talking self interest. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of jobs, millions of jobs, hundreds of thousands of stores and restaurants. Watch where Mayor Bunny had. As more companies shift to work remotely, is live person to stock for the social distancing age? I'm talking with the CEO. You get him sitting down with the CEO of American Electric Power, getting the bottom of its latest report. And industry is really slow in this country, but not work from home and fire also tonight's lightning round. So stay with Kramer. All right, what do you do when your company's customer service reps can't come into work because of the pandemic? Well, you automate. Which brings me to LivePerson, the cloud based software company that's a leader in conversational artificial intelligence technology. It's a leader that's been around for a long time, too. They help other businesses create bots. That can talk to customers directly via text. Bosses seem like real people. Whom I like, by the way, more than real people. I've been telling you this is exactly the kind of stock that works in the COVID-19 economy. But when my person reported last week, they told a story that was even better than I imagined. While their sales and earnings came in a bit higher than expected, the game changer was the fabulously bullish guidance for next quarter, along with management's conference call commentary. They talked about how the usage of the platform spiked in March and April. As clients rushed to embrace automation, no wonder the stock spiked 40 percent last Wednesday. We have all the money people are making in this market. Since then, it just keeps roaring. Could this thing have more upside? Let's take a closer look with Rob Locascio. He is the founder, chairman, and CEO of LivePerson. To learn more about the quarter and where his company's head, Rob, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, how you doing? All right, so Rob, this was it. I now (laughs) have to tell people, I I won't call anyone. I will call no stores. I will call nothing. Because all I am is put on hold forever and ever. And I cannot believe that these people are not using live person. How can companies afford not to use live person an ear when you're working from home?
3: They can't. You know, when you looked at what happened with COVID-19 and, and the contact centers, they all shut down. And so there was this mad dash to get those agents home and take voice calls. And what we've seen is really What we ushered in is really the death of the call center. And I've been talking about this for two years, and now it's come. And and that's why we saw all this demand come to us, and
1: we're just doing great with it. Well, what convinced me, you have this great moment in your call where you said, the barking dog, the crying baby, we don't want that in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The idea that
3: you're answering a call and someone's talking about their bill paying their bill and there's like a baby crying, it doesn't make sense. We've said this from the beginning is that these things need to be automated. And what we saw during the quarter is really after COVID, I think only about 50% of capacity came back. That's why you're just seeing now, like my bank, which is Chase, they put on the website, like don't call us basically, you know, you're going to be on hold forever. So what we need now is to go to automation We need now is to really change the game and and do what we're talking about, changing these conversations, making them digital, bringing them to messaging. And that's what we're doing, you know, and it's just it's really an extraordinary time, I think, now, because finally the call center is, is really
1: gone. Well, I mean, look, the PPP. Involved you calling banks, okay? Well, that was one thing I was never going to do because I knew what would happen when I called the bank. I knew it would just send my blood pressure up. I knew I would say, I have so much money with them and this is happening. So I let my wife do it because I am sick and tired of being put on hold with someone I have a lot of money with. I'm not alone. Yeah, this, like I said, this is, this
3: is the end. We saw this finally. And, and you know, we, it all showed up in the numbers. Uh, we grew 18. Uh, percent, uh, you know, in in Q1. We put out great guidance in Q2. We basically are just doing awesome. We saw something really, really important happen, though, in March. Our volume 10xed in March than it normally does because all that volume from the call center just shifted to messaging. And I've never seen it before. My 20 years running this company as a public company, I've never seen that shift in our business at that rate. And what happened was now, we're just we're sort of in the woods with our customers, like building automations, getting those agents home and all that. And it's really it's, it's a game changer. You know, obviously, I don't this is very bad. What's happened to the world. But but what's happened to our business, the knock on effect has been very, very positive.
1: Well, I also thought it was interesting. You mentioned uh, this was worldwide. I mean, a lot of people have call centers in India somehow like, thought that would protect the Philippines. It didn't matter. It's worldwide. You know, this is it. Right. It's the pandemic. It doesn't matter where you are. I, yeah, I remember,
3: and I remember like one of the weeks in March, one of our customers is a big, big uh, telco in Italy. You know, they shut down their call centers in Italy, went to Bulgaria, shut those down, went over to India, shut those down. So, you know, it was just happening so quickly. And what people don't realize is that for a large telco or bank, if, they, if let's say they have 50,000 employees, 10,000 would be in the corporate office and they're using Zoom and Hangouts. That's how we're communicating in the right. corporate offices. Another 40,000 or so would be in those contact centers. That's the largest labor pool. And so what we're doing is enabling that labor pool to connect to the consumers, to basically build those automations to the consumers. And that's where all the, the volume is. It's not just about Zoom and I'm here and I'm talking to my leadership team and my customers. It's about, you know, how do you talk to a bank? How do you communicate with them? How do you do that now in, in the era where you can't pick up a phone at
1: all? Contact centers are closed. OK, so why did it take... I'm mindful that this is your 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Why did it take so long for people to realize, for companies to realize, really good companies, that they were upsetting their customers?
3: Look, it, it's inertia. That, that thing, the call, has been around for 50 years, that contact center. <laughs> and there's just an inertia in it. And that's all it is. It's, it's hanging on to it. But I, once again, to see it all shut down globally. I mean, Philippines shut down, India shut down, United States shut down all around the world. So it's and consumers, what did they choose to do? They chose to go to messaging. They chose to talk to automations. That's what they chose. We saw that in our volumes. And so, you know, the consumer has spoken now and now what we're doing is it's accelerating. We don't want to go back. You know, I, I don't see how you open a contact center and socially distance people who are sitting next to each other with hands right. headsets. It doesn't work.
1: Okay, so one last question, Ron. Now I know you had to push your profitability back. You have to take advantage of this. But what do you tell the people who are watching, saying, "Hold it, 20 years? Why aren't they making fortunes right now?"
3: No, we actually moved it forward. So we will be EBITDA positive next quarter. Okay, that's, that's a quarter right. exactly. I, right.
1: I just we, meant we, that that in in order when you're EBITDA positive, but you're not the way that our viewers watch, where they're not seeing like, oh, plus 30 cents, plus 50 cents. You're EBITDA positive. But when, when right. pure profitability?
3: Look, we're, cash flow is going to be 50 percent better than last year. Somewhere shortly, we are going to be cash flow positive. We were cash flow positive for the last 20 years. Right. Last year, right. we invested heavy. and I'm glad we invested heavy, by the way. Because we didn't invest heavy. We would be here today just kind of trying to grab pieces right. and scrap because right. we have all of that capacity, capacity in our servers, our technology, our salespeople. We're out now out there taking advantage and really capturing the market that's there today. I'm glad we did it. But now we're getting
1: leverage. OK, now that's we're what I want to see. And I want it too. All right. Terrific. Great work. Great work. Always good to see you on Mab Money. Thank you. Thanks, uh, that's, uh, Rob, that's Rob Lukasha, Chairman and CEO of Live Person LPSN. And yes, you'll see minus signs, but he's making money in EBITDA. And more important, he's spending when this is the greatest chance to do it. Because I know that was a concern of some of you. Mab Money's back here to the break. It is time. The and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dad, it's over the lighting round. we going to with Nick in New Jersey. Nick. Jimmy, chill. What's up, brother? Oh, man, not much cooking. How well, about you? All right, not bad. Hey, tell me, should I be doubling down on Cisco before they report? Well, I typically don't like to do that, but I do like Cisco's setup here. I like this WebEx. I like the fact, ah, but you know what? I'm not going to play. I can't. I can't do that. Um, you already have a position. Let's wait to see how they do. But I do think that there's a lot of things going right now. Let's go to Kenneth in Florida. Kenneth. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Booyah. I'm a, I'm a Miami doctor. Love your show. Watch it nightly. Longtime time Dolphin fan and curious about two of stocks, But we'll only ask you about one of them. Okay. Uh, weeks, weeks ago, a caller asked you about it. I bought some and doubled down after the May 4th FDA approval and last week's earning report showing earnings and revenue beats, low debt and strength and balance sheet, improved gross margins, inline 2020 guidance when 40% of companies don't even give guidance. The stock is serious, E E R S. Yeah, they, they, I think they're real. I mean, I, I agree with you, Doc. I think that they're a real company, and I know it's only a $5 stock, but it was a good quarter. So I'm with you. I'm going to stick with you. I think you, you stick with it. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank. Hey, Jim. Frank.
3: Um, I'm a longtime viewer of Mad Money, and I particularly appreciate the perspective and insight you give into the market, especially during these troubled times. Thank you.
1: Having said that, I'd like to get your thoughts on the packaging company Westrock. Westrock bid off more than it can chew. Uh, Westrock uh, did not have a sense of the fact that there were many companies expanding capacity all at the same time. Uh, took down a lot of debt. Uh, and that's why they had to cut that dividend. And that was brutal. It was just a brutal situation. Uh, a lot of companies are cutting dividends. You don't want to be around any company cutting dividends. I am very worried about the banks having to cut their dividends. But West Rock, classic cyclical name, too much debt, eyes too big for their head. Let's go to Adam in New Jersey. Adam. Hey, what's up, Jim? How I'm much? How are you Adam? I want to know if Uber is... 85 right now. Is it too early? You have to take a really, really long-term view on Uber. I really think it just. Everyone wants this thing to just turn and go to 45 again. That's not going to happen. But I do believe in them long-term, and I'm not doing. That's not like a you know a hedge. I'm just saying it's just going to take a long time. Let's go to Jason in Virginia. Jason.
3: Hey Jim, long time, first time. Yes. Real quick, Jim, uh, I do want to give uh, a post-Mother's Day shout-out to all the moms out there who are working their hardest uh, to get through these tough times, as well as to my wife, Jenny, for all the amazing work she does as the mother of our three-year-old son, Landon. I like that. The stock I'm calling about, Jim, recently announced earnings with a 40% beat on earnings per share. They also affirmed 2020 earnings guidance and raised 2020 revenue guidance. And there's just not a lot of companies doing that this quarter. So, So, Jim... With the approval of their key drug Traksta expected in Europe later this year, and the company having a history of conservative earnings guidance, is now a good time for investors to be buying up the stock of Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Well,
1: Vertex is amazing. It's just an amazing company. It's got the real. It's the real deal for CF. Uh, I had put it in the bullpen for for my travel trust. I told club members we're going to pull the trigger. I got a big conference call on Thursday, and I never did. And it was my mistake. It is a good stock. Is it too late? I don't know, hit an all-time high today, but I got to tell you, I think it goes higher. How about that? Let's go to Allen in Virginia. Allen. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Booyah. Booyah. Uh,
2: thanks for taking my call today, Jim. First time call, a long time listener. Um, Jim, I wanted to get your advice on this uh, stock ticker. I've been following this healthcare stock stop ticker,
1: H-M-S-Y. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I remember from, boy, we used to have a speculative thing at the street, and this stock is very rough. I think it's a really good stock. I don't know why it's down. Uh, I mean, we had recommended it in the mid-20s, and it's still in the mid-20s, but I do like it very much. Let's go to Pete in Tennessee. Pete. Hey, Jim. Booyah from the lovely Johnson City, Tennessee. Holy cow. Now you're talking. Yeah, wagon wheel, man.
2: Yes, yeah, beautiful down here. Listen, I'm am a psychiatrist, so I'm out of my my uh, what they call scope of practice All here. Right. But I'm I think I know some real game changers when I see them, and I'm really impressed with two agents from Marathi Therapeutics.
1: I am too. I am too. You know, this is uh, oncology. You know, I encourage. I like a lot of the oncology stocks. And this is a good one. We did some work on it, so I agree with you. And it may be on both of our ken, but I think it's a good company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round!
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: What do with utility stocks here? On the one hand, these are textbook safety stocks with bountiful dividends, tend to beat the market when the economy slows down, like it is now. On the other hand, when the economy gets hit so badly that demand for power plummets, that can put real downward pressure on even their earnings. So look at American Electric Power, which owns the largest power distribution network in the country, along with some big power generation assets. AP got hammered along with everything else when the market crashed. Then the stock rebounded back to the mid-80s, where it stayed for the better part of a month. Last week, though, American Electric Power reported a quarter that the market didn't like so much. The company delivered a top and bottom line miss, while management told us that their full-year earnings would likely come at the low end of the, of the forecast. But they still a be at the forecast. In response, the stock got hit, losing 5% last Wednesday. At these levels, the AP is pretty cheap, supports a bountiful 3.5% yield. But is that enough? Let's check in with Nick Akins, the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power, to get a better read on how the utilities are holding up. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you? Well, I got to tell you, Nick, I never thought it would happen. But I guess this slowdown is so incredibly powerful that even the business usage of electricity got hit pretty hard.
2: Yeah, it did. Uh, Actually, we we looked at many of the activities that were going on. The first quarter really didn't represent the true nature of what was happening, particularly with the coronavirus. So we picked up our April numbers right before our earnings call, and, and certainly it showed uh, deterioration in our commercial and industrial sector, and our residential went up. So we're still uh, working to try to figure that out in terms of how that mix is going to work in the future. But, but certainly it, it, it's thrown everyone for a curve, but, but we think we have it well in hand.
1: Right, so, Nick, how much of it do you think is, uh, is uh, work from home uh, versus the uh, skyscrapers that are empty?
2: Oh, I think a lot of it's work from home because uh, we saw about a about a seven to ten. You'll see about seven to ten percent decrease in industrial and re- and commercial customers, which are basically uh, those that are restaurants, uh, schools, those types of things. Um, they they have fallen about seven percent, five to seven percent. So those kinds of reductions you see but you also see in April a 6% increase in residential. So that means people are working from home, established at home, and certainly our margins are dictated. Uh, we make about three times the margin on residential that we do industrial. So we're, we're managing through that mix and determining what the right level of uh, not only expenses, Uh, but also in terms of capital to deploy in relation to that.
1: But at the same time, uh, you've done something that we don't think of uh, that utilities do, uh, forbearance. People were in trouble. You helped them. Yeah, so
2: we've been active in the communities we served. Our foundation obviously has been active, but our employees – Uh, Just a great tribute to them being able to work on our our innovation labs, built masks and and delivered those to hospitals. And certainly uh, uh, for many of our customers, we've been working our call centers with the uh, Small Business Administration loans to to our commercial customers to help them get back on their feet as quickly as possible. Because obviously we want to see this to recover in a V-shaped as opposed to some U-shaped or W or whatever.
1: Now, how about the health of your workers who are out there uh, uh, doing things that I imagine if they get too close to each other, they could get sick like they had in that windmill situation at General Electric up north?
2: So we've had about 18,000 employees, 12,000 are working from home and doing very well from that perspective. The others are out in the field, obviously responding to storm activities and those types of things. We've taken extra precautions relative to that, making sure they have the PPE, making sure we have testing in place where we need to have testing, and then secondly with masks. Uh, and social distancing, and all the hygiene activities. So we've been pretty successful. Uh, we ha- we've had very minimal cases, and all those cases, thank- uh, thankfully, uh, are responding positively. So we're in good shape.
1: Now, uh, some of the uh, utility stocks have really gotten clobbered here, uh, t- some in Texas. and uh, it-, it looks like, I don't know, I mean, is this the time because of your balance sheet and how well you're doing that you should be buying somebody? So,
2: well, obviously at this point, though, we're really looking at cash flow and making sure our credit metrics are secure, okay. but also making very positive adjustments as we go along. Our capital program is $33 billion over the next five years. We just shifted $500 million uh, during this period, but we can easily put that back in depending on what the uh, what the environment looks like. And certainly- uh, they're, they're the kind of investments we can readily put back in. Uh, we're, we're able and agile enough
1: to do that. Now, you have a, a chart in your deck which shows where you guys are in terms of renewables, in terms of wind, uh, in terms of, of how much mercury you've cut. Uh, it, it really is rather amazing. I don't know if you get enough credit for it, but I want to give you credit for it because AAP has done an awful lot to be able to reduce its footprint.
2: Yeah, and that, that process will continue. There's no, no doubt we're moving toward renewables. We're certainly reducing our carbon footprint in substantial ways, uh, but also in terms of the other kind of emissions uh, reduced markedly uh, over the years. So we'll continue that process. Matter of fact, our north central wind project, it was sort of uh, with the coronavirus uh, uh, overshadowed, a very positive from that perspective, a large wind project Uh, received Arkansas approval.
1: So now that project is moving forward. And I think that's important for people to know because with natural gas so cheap, you could have arbitraged it, but natural gas is carbon, and you want to be carbon-free if possible.
2: Yeah, and actually it's a natural hedge. Uh, to any kind of fossil fuel with emissions to have renewables in place. It's a natural hedge in terms of the price, but also a hedge in terms of any kind of carbon uh, activity that may occur out of Congress or elsewhere. Right.
1: Well, look, I, I, the fact that you kept the bottom end of the range, that's all I care about, and the yield is pretty darn good. Nick Aikens, Chairman, President, and CEO of American Electric Power. Thank you so much, Nick. Always good to see you. Thanks, Jim. Look, it's still, when I say, it's still one of my faves. I like Dominion. I like these guys. Everybody's back everywhere. Listen, there are some things happening on CNBC tonight that you do not want to miss. My friend Scott Wapner has a new CNBC documentary which examines the direct-to-consumer DNA testing industry, an industry that has convinced nearly 30 million paying customers to hand over their most sensitive personal information, their genetic code. Don't miss DNA testing, the promise and the peril. It premieres tonight at 10 Eastern and Pacific right here on CBC. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise i will find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The Rise Up New York Robin Hood Relief Benefit begins right now.